Welcome to the Auto Action Rev Limiter. Your host, Andrew Clark, is joined by heavy hitters Paul Gover and Bruce Williams. Time to get down and dirty. It comes down to whether or not they're prepared to play the same game as him. You jump in the pool with the shark. Oh, I didn't know he was going to bite my foot off. Hey all, Andrew Clark here from the streets of Chicago where Shane Van Gisbergen made history last weekend. But first, we've got a whole bunch of things to get through this weekend. Well, this today actually, it's uh, midnight for me and uh, afternoon for the guys. But uh, I've got Paul Gover and Bruce Williams with me today. So uh, again, of course. So Paul, how are you? Oh, I'm terrific. Uh, it's raining in Queensland, which is great. Uh, there's a bit of news about, around supercars. And of course, we're all still cheering uh, for the Kiwi who's uh, set the world on fire as a representative, thankfully, of supercars in Australia. Well, we, yeah, New Zealand's just another state of Australia, really, isn't it? They just speak a bit differently. It's a bit like your Queenslanders who speak differently. Just and Bruce. Aware, Paul. Sorry. How are you, Bruce? I'm good, thanks. Just so you know, Paul, I'm in charge of the buttons and dolls tonight, so if you start to annoy me, I can just turn you off. Uh, well, you might as well just turn me off now then, because you know I'm going to annoy you, Bruce. That's my job. Wouldn't be the first time Bruce has turned someone off. So, Clarky, yeah, very funny. So, Clarky, you've uh, you've been you've been sharing the uh, the dream of uh, Shane Van Gisbergen's inaugural NASCAR race, which he completely dominated, which was one of the most remarkable performances. And um, you were right in the thick of it, mate. You're in the pit lane. You're in the media center. You were on the on the grid. You're all over the place. You're everywhere. Tell us about it. Yeah, it's a, well, it's pretty amazing over here, actually, because you talk to people and uh, they're actually, everybody who's talking about Shane Van Gisbergen in Chicago, whether you're a NASCAR person or just a person in the streets, once they find out you're from Australia, it's like they want to know about Van Gisbergen. And uh, in the media centre, you know, it was just buzzing, people wanting to know. It's the first time I've been popular in my whole life. Um, people coming up wanting to know about... I'm getting used to it, Clarky. I know, it'll fade away after this week, I'm sure. Once I'm back in Townsville, it'll be like... I was going to say... Oh, there's that dickhead in the corner. Yeah, you'll be back in Townsville in a couple of days, mate, and you'll just assume your normal position of being despised. Exactly, that's the way it works. But uh, yeah, so they just the questions and things, people trying to understand who he is. And uh, like there was one journo who said to him, you know, so explain who you are in 30 seconds. And so Shane Van Gisbergen said... Hi, I'm Shane from New Zealand. I'm a V8 supercar driver, and I also drive sprint cars and rally cars and drift, and I do this, and I just love driving. And and that was how Shane Van Gisbergen described himself to the Americans. And uh, it's very different Shane Van Gisbergen, by the way. Um, I was going to say, Clarky, apparently the smile was never off his face. No, he was having a ball, and uh, yeah, and he, it's, no, no, he wasn't having a ball, Clarky. He was having a job interview. <laughs> well, he was certainly doing a job interview. Jeez, he aced it, didn't he? But yeah, he just he was enjoying himself, and I think the pressure's different because once he's back in Australia, now he's got all of these other pesky little journalists who want to ask him pesky little questions. Um, over here, all I want to find out is what's it like to drive a NASCAR? What's the difference between a NASCAR and a supercar? How much are you loving it here? You know, and it just brought out the best in him. It's a Shane Van Gisbergen I haven't seen in a very long time. Um, and can I say after, you know, the start to this year, it's just good to see him enjoying himself and, and embracing what's going on. Fantastic. Okay, we're gonna sh- we're gonna slide off to a little break while uh, Andrew turns off his watch. <laughs> 
Each week, find out what the men behind the V8 news know and what the drivers and teams are going to do next. It's interviews and opinions on Inside Supercars. My predecessor, Roland Dane, did a very, very good job. We're no longer shareholders of the build business. Personally, I think a 500 and the build up to the 1,000 is, is a good thing. Tune in for more at sportradio.com.au or lock in the podcast on your iTunes or mobile device. Search Inside Supercars. Okay, we're back again, and um, Andrew's uh, trying to stay awake because it's after midnight in uh, beautiful downtown Chicago. It's Monday night there, so he's still been reveling in the uh, fantastic result of SVG winning his uh, first NASCAR race. So um, how was the uh, party after after the event, mate? Was there plenty of celebrations? Well, yeah, I mean, apparently Shane kept going for a very long time, and I tried to get a chat with him this morning, and I uh, was told, uh, no, not really. He's uh, he's over it. He's done about five hours of interviews, and he's over it. But for me, I mean, I um, as you know, Bruce, I was over here not for the car racing, but for the music, and so I spent all night out at bands and uh, doing all sorts of other things. So I pulled an all-nighter, and uh, I've had a ball. Chicago is a terrific city, I'm sure. Paul's been here before because um, he would have been on some car junket over here. But uh, it's a really good city. It's very like Melbourne. And they've just, you know, the car racing stuff, they've really just got into it. And uh, went to a 4th of July party just before and everybody's asking about Shane Van Gisbergen. And, uh, yeah, they're loving it. They're loving him. They're loving us. They like Australia now. We're good. And uh, what about our mates at Trackhouse? They would have obviously been pretty excited about uh, their uh, Project 91 car being uh, in the winner's uh, rostrum. Yeah, there's a few interesting stories there. So, so Drew Brown, who's their PR bloke, who um, yeah, we've been liaising with him since we did that track house story a few weeks ago, and uh, he gave us the little thing saying, you know, you, you better get ready. We've got an announcement at nine o'clock, which we knew was Shane Van Gisbergen, and uh, I've been talking to him all weekend, telling him for weeks that Shane Van Gisbergen could win the whole thing, and he said uh, when Van Gisbergen crossed the finish line, I was the first person he thought of. So I thought that was pretty good. Well, we've been talking him up, haven't we, mate? And uh, at the end of the day, it came down to whether or not he would survive getting unloaded or being biffed off or whatever. And it was a pretty clean race, really. And when it came down to the crunch, he uh, he, he battled his way from 18th to a win. And uh, he did it in style. He never really looked like he was in any danger. No, he dominated, didn't he? He was um, about half a second lap faster than anyone else in terms of the, the fastest lap of the race. Uh, but in those closing laps, he was a second lap faster than the guys leading the race. So he was he was just pulling them away. And once he got in the lead, it was just don't do anything stupid, you know, because we've had safety cars, so there's no lap traffic to come up to. So all he had to do was get himself out there and just uh, not do anything stupid and... Uh, that drive, you know, like he was in 18th spot with 15 laps to go. Yeah, no, it was amazing. Oh, yeah. It's, it's interesting that at the uh, at the last restart, the young kid that was running second at the time had a big lunge at him and uh, Shane must have seen him coming down the inside and gave him a bit of a wide berth and he went d- dived down the inside and then ran wide and Shane pressed on into the distance. Yeah. But it was, uh, it was a really dominant display and uh, – yeah, no, it was excellent, really. It, in fact, it was almost better that he won in that way than if it than if he'd uh, sort of been cruising around at the front because it really proved how good he was in traffic. And the other interesting thing was that the three or four Toyotas that were dominating the start of the race were absolutely nowhere, and yet Shane managed to get his way through that um, through that field. 
so what they found is the Toyota is actually quicker in a straight line than anybody else, which is interesting. So um, Andrew Edwards was over here as well, and I was having a chat to him, and I, I said, no, they say fast in a straight line. He said, yeah, but they don't have the parity word in, in America. It just doesn't exist. So uh, the Toyota's got that advantage over everybody else. But uh, Van Gisbergen, like, he was the only Chevrolet right up there in qualifying and practice, uh, and he was the only Chevrolet that was fast in the races. Um, you know, he, he was just, yeah, as I say, he was, he was in another world. Um, and just to watch him doing the overtaking and things, and, and what actually probably worked to his advantage is that there's no uh, no runoff areas except for two corners, and everybody was aware that not to do something stupid because it could end their race and end their championship. It didn't um, and stop them finding the tyre barriers on multiple occasions, <laughs> did it? Yeah, that was probably just, that was competency rather than anything else. Martin Truex went from being a superstar to a dickhead in about five laps. He he, uh, he ended up finding the tyres a number of times. Yeah, it was a challenge for them. Like at, um, just walking around the track, because I did walk the track at one stage, and, and just looking at the different surface changes and, and the roughness of the circuit, you know, there's manhole covers where you don't want manhole covers when you're on a racing track. And then you throw the rain in that we had. Like, the rain was horrendous. You know, like, all day we were getting weather warnings from the government saying, you know, don't go outside, don't drive anywhere, don't do anything because of the flooding and the and the storms. And then they started the NASCAR race in the middle of it, which was quite funny. But the surface changes were, were really interesting. And, and you know, you, Van Gisbergen spoke afterwards about, you know, how you do all your certain amount of braking in the in the concrete because you knew you had low grip waiting for you to get onto the asphalt so that you could just throw the car into it and go hard. And so he's thinking about the surfaces and as they're changing underneath him, what, is, what does it mean when he gets into that corner? Uh, and this is where that racing IQ that, uh, that Mark Dutton always talks about him having is so important because he's thinking so much more than anyone else out there on the track. What was amazing too about that surface was the number of pedestrian crossings and uh, lines and arrows and stuff. I mean, they made no attempt to, to cover them over. I mean, there were corners where half the half the corners were covered in paint. It must have been absolutely diabolical. Oh, absolutely. It's a, you, you, we think about the, our drivers and how they had their little tantrums at the Grand Prix because they had to walk a little bit to get to the trucks and so forth. None of that over here. It's like, here's the surface. Just go for it, guys. We're not doing anything. Um, they did repave um, Columbus Avenue, which is the start-finish straight where the... Um, where the pits are and the kind of Chicagoans thought that was terrific that they got a new surface, but they didn't do anything else anywhere else. It was just like, that's the track. You drive around it, boys. What I thought was interesting <laughs> at one point during the rain delays, because I was up very early, um, they said drivers have been given permission to return to their haulers. Yeah. So even though it was tipping down, they weren't allowed to leave the pit lane area until they got permission from mum. Yeah, I know. It's, it's funny, isn't it? The, uh, and then, then they were told that they had to go back there when it was still teeming with rain. Yeah. But the weather radar showed that there was this little pocket. So you're watching this weather radar, and the viewers can't see this, Bruce, can they? But, um, like, there's just rain everywhere. And then all of a sudden, this little pocket of no rain appeared in the middle of it and just grew big enough and gave them one and a half hours of nothingness to actually get the race done. And, uh, and they were ready. So they got everybody lined up, ready to go as soon as that rain stopped to start the race. Where were you watching that, Clarkie? Were you actually in the in the press room? Because I've been to a NASCAR press room and the facilities, including the free food, are amazing. Oh, yeah, unbelievable. I'm going to have a chat to Barks about that, Bruce. So uh, you line me up at lunch with that bloke. I want to talk to him about this. But uh, no, I started, I started in pit lane. Um, but the problem in pit lane is that you can't find a TV screen and you can't find a timing screen. Um, so I couldn't 
follow enough of what was going on. So after we got through uh, the first section, I went back to the media centre, but uh, which is not even inside the track facility. It's outside the track because of the way it's all built. And uh, yeah, so I spent the rest of the rest of the race up there, um, which is a pity. I would have loved to be down in Victory Ray when he um, when he got through, but it was just too hard to get down there and keep track of what was going on. All right. Well, um, we've uh, obviously covered the results uh, ad nauseum on the Auto Action website and social media and stuff. So. I'm not really sure we need to go into too much detail, but obviously the topic of conversation now that SVG has become an instant superstar in the States is uh, how long before he uh, packs his swag in his bag and um, heads back to America. I'm thinking it's not going to be very long. Well, he will definitely race again next year um, here, but I don't know. I think it'll only be a handful of races at most. So Matt Herman, who's the... um, Hang on, when you say here... Do you mean here in, Chicago. in America or here in Australia? In America, yeah. I'll bet a lot of money that he's racing in NASCAR next year. He, he has a get-out clause for Australia. He won't stay here. What are you – hang on, Paul. Are you saying full-time? Yes. I'm saying full-time as well, Paul. Yeah. I'm, I'm agreeing with you. I think he's got an out clause. I think the contract that he's got holds him to uh, to drive supercar – for Triple Eight in supercars. But if he's not driving supercars, then he won't be uh, – if he's if he's not uh, with driving supercars, he won't be here. So that's what I believe is his is his contract. Clarky, so what do you know? Um, well, the, the, we do know that he does have that out clause. That is a that's an absolute fact, and that's why um, Jamie Whitcup's talking about not blocking him if that's what he decides to do. His indication at the moment is that he um, he's going to do supercars next year, and then after that, he's going to probably do the NASCAR full time. So the plan is, I think that he'll be doing a handful of races next year. Um, The enhanced health bloke came up to me before the start of the race and said, we're going to run him next year more. Um, He didn't say we're going to run him full-time, but we're going to run him more. And the challenge is that to do an extra car, so if Trackhouse Racing wants to run an extra car, they've got to find $7 million sponsorship to do it. But you're saying saying they want him to run more races next year. Correct. Yes, so he will run. He'll run. How many? Well, Trackhouse is so, saying they only want to run three, but I think it'll be like five or six. Lucky, you're adding up one and one and getting free. What do you hear, Paul? Well, you're assuming that he'll be involved with Trackhouse. There are a whole lot of other teams over there that don't have winning drivers with them, um, whether they bring sponsorship or whatever. And the fact of the matter is, there'll be a team over there that's better credentialed who'll want to have him. Yeah, there'll be somebody chasing. The, oh, I would imagine that phone, the phones have been going nuts all day if, if I was a NASCAR team. Yeah. Um, and as you say, there's not many who've got you know, gun drivers on every type of circuit. Um, the only awareness is that he hasn't raced ovals. Um, and as Bruce knows, you know, um, running a circuit to running an oval is a very different thing. Well, I've driven on ovals as well. Is that what you called it, Paul? <laughs> yeah, you, you only let me once. Oh, you drove, you drove. I'm glad yes. you didn't say race. No, I said drove. <laughs> yes. So, yeah, it's a very different discipline. And and I think the idea in, in Shane's head, um, and this is just my gut feel because he hasn't actually articulated any way, is that he can do a couple of ovals next year and he can keep up his simulator work um, while he develops his, his oval track skills. Um, but it won't just be road courses and street courses that he does next year. He will do ovals for these guys. So, Trackhouse, so how many more road courses are there over there this year? Uh, one more, I think. Uh, and then they're onto the ovals as for the run out of the season. So, why would he not run those? I think there are three more races that he can, that, and one of them's a clash. So, let's say he does two more races this year. Yep. 
And while he's there, somebody puts him back in that Chevrolet simulator, which he was talking about how good it was. They can affect. They'll know how good he's going to be on an oval after running that oh. simulator. No, 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 not at all. And, and we all know Shane Van Gisbergen. What, you didn't think he didn't have, already have a go in the simulator of an oval? He's had the simulator, but only only doing Chicago so far. So he hasn't done an oval. Well, he wasn't allowed to do any other tracks in the other simulator. Well, he wouldn't have had time, Neville, because he was only there for half a day. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, he had. Um, I think he had three sessions in the simulator, and it was all about Chicago. Yeah. Um, and it was interesting because they um, they laser laser mapped the track, and so when they went in there, because I spoke to them about it, it you know, said, "Well, you know, everything." So the potholes were there, and all the little surface changes, and all the little things. Says at one point in time, yeah, you know, part of the track's corrugated, you know, little corrugations, um, and all of that was in the simulator. The only bit they didn't have was the start-finish straight that they'd resurfaced. Um, so the simulator is incredibly accurate, apparently. Um, so you can learn a lot, and you, you will know, you know, you'll understand the oval track stuff because they've got all of the, you know, the the uh, aerodynamics part of it working as well. So, you know, he can get up to speed really quickly because he's adaptable and he's you know, he's smart at this driving caper and. Uh, yeah, he, he he will get there, and whether it's next year or the year after, and he will be successful. He won't be happy staying here next year. No, I think just looking at the smile on his face and his demeanour and all parts of it, he, I think he feels this is the place for him. Um, I, I yeah. don't think he's felt so comfortable in a long time in a race, you know, in a race world. Um, as he has in this particular one. So I think, yeah, he'll be thinking, how quickly can I get there and when do I want to do it? Do I want to run Xfinity or do I want to run that season of doing a handful of races and avoid doing the Xfinity series and go straight into the Cup series? And I think if he doesn't go next year, that's what that's about. Well, hang on a second. Wouldn't NASCAR have the same rules that apply to their sport as our people out here and and make him do six Infinity races first? I mean, surely they wouldn't let him just go and straight into NASCAR. That'd be outrageous. Oh, hang on a second. He just did. They just did it. (laughs) And and they did it with Jensen Button and they did it with Kimi Raikkonen. (laughs) That's outrageous. And they didn't make them do six Infinity races first or race Utes or something. Uh, And the other (laughs) thing is, while we're talking about other people guesting, uh, Jensen Button, Formula One world champion, where did he finish at Chicago? Oh, he did get turned around in the he uh, got turned around. one of the restarts there at one stage. Mate, that, but hang on, that was a very wide entry into pit lane. He was not going into the pit lane, no. despite the very, very best efforts by the commentators to convince everybody that he was. He had no intention of going no. into pit lane. He just got turned around. If he was going into pit lane, when he trundled through pit lane, he would have done his pit stop. And he didn't do his pit stop. So he wasn't going into pit lane on with you, Bruce. He got turned around by a clumsy person. Uh, but Jensen Button did actually quite well. Just to, just to throw a curveball back, and I'm not the first one to say this because uh, Paul Morris has also mentioned it, but, you know, these NASCAR drivers, um, they're some of the best drivers in the world. There's no argument about that. But if they were to come out want to race that, come out here and race, they wouldn't be allowed to race a uh, supercar at Bathurst or anything else, would they? Nope, because not under the current rules. They'd have to get an exception. They race for NASCAR, so they wouldn't get any FIA points at all. Then NASCAR's not even recognised by the FIA, FIA as being a sanctioning body. So how would those folks come out here? Yeah, I thought it was recognised now, but um, uh, maybe it is, but it's not. They don't have the same system the FIA have. Oh no, yeah, he's not going to have the. Li- they won't have the license points, but um, yeah, but it's up to supercars whether they let somebody in, and that's the argument, isn't it? Really? Yeah, I mean, this is my thing. I think they need to shift the date of Bathurst 
Um, so this is my view. I think Bathurst needs to be shifted outside of the NASCAR season, and, oh, and then Andrew, you'll find some. Andrew, then you'll find some Andrew, NASCAR. Boy, Andrew, this is a big Andrew. call, Andrew. You are dreaming, mate. Have you been? Have you been? Have you been? Um, you know, you said some had some mixed drinks before. Were you standing yeah. in a corner where there was a bit of a cloud of smoke billowing or something? Because you sound <laughs> delusional at the moment. No, have you, you been don't. on the happy tobacco or something? You can't change the dates for Bathurst, mate. Yes, you can. I almost agree with most of what you say, but that's absolutely ridiculous. Of course you can change the date for Bathurst. Why can't you? You can't change the date of Bathurst. Mate, you can't change it. It is Why? folklore. Uh, you know, How old were you when you first started? Well, that's like changing the date for the Melbourne Cup. Well, we did, did change talk it. about that for a while. You know Coco did that, don't you? We did change it, though, Paul. We changed the date because... Tony Cochran didn't have the supercars date because the original Channel 7 Bathurst had the original long weekend in Bathurst. So anyway, let's... Yeah, okay. But we don't race on the long weekend in Bathurst anymore. Oh, they okay. Moved, well, let's they move moved the it. date then. Let's move they it back it. to the long weekend. Keep everybody happy. <laughs> anyway, the point I'm trying to make is that isn't it interesting that Shane Van Gisbergen can go and race in a category in America at the highest level of their... without having to do any pre-qualifying or any infinity races or you know having to go and get his palms red to make sure his future looks safe and all the rest of the stuff the crap they have to go on with yeah did nothing just to simulate a run and a you know a, and the the one he did out at charlotte on the roval he wasn't even allowed to go full throttle it was about 80 percent throttle he was allowed to use it was really just to see that his feet could touch the pedals and the you know everything was all right that's what that was about you should and, explain and, what a roval is by the way oh it's um it's an oval course uh, you know an oval with a with a, a road, road course. course andrew you're tangled up again it's a road course that incorporates part of a super speedway oval so it's like the Daytona 24-hour sports car race. Or yes. The, uh, or the Indianapolis Formula One race. Yeah. That's right, the Indy, the Indy track. So there's plenty of those around. Yeah. We could uh, reintroduce one at the Thunderdome. Which we could, and we should. And we will. We should. Why don't you just get all the NASCARs out here and race on the Thunderdome? Because I do want to go overseas again. So that was one of the other questions that came up in the press conference to the NASCAR guys is, yeah, what are your plans for this now that you've done a successful street race? And they had 70,000 people here by the way, on race day. And when they decided that they were going to start the race, you walk out of the media centre and the people were coming out of all the pubs and the hotels in the city and they were streaming into the track because they knew they were going to get their race. There were people everywhere. Um, and over 70% of them had never been to a car race before. Well, they looked like they were enjoying themselves. They had a ball. I met some people tonight at this party who you know, went to the race, never been to a car race, loved it. They're going to follow NASCAR now. The bloke who took me out there, Kevin, I met him at the Hold Steady gig the other night. Um, he was there. He's actually on the front page of the Chicago Tribune today, standing next to Shane Van Gisbergen with his fist in the air. So, yeah, so they, they loved it. They embraced it. The people who'd never been to a car race enjoyed what they got. So, and they don't, they don't even have drive to survive over there, do they? Uh, f no, not for NASCAR. For Formula One, they do, but obviously. But, yeah, there's no, nothing no, no, for NASCAR. No, no, no. What I'm saying is yeah. they do actually know how to promote an event over there. Yes. Where we see the uh, attendances at supercars races um, not exactly starring at many tracks, they obviously did a great job on the promotion. Did they have a? Did they have to resort to having a uh, pop group at night to get people to go? Uh, no, they had a. Um, they did have music on um, because it's uh, the stage is there for the Lola Palooza shows, um, which were uh, got postponed for the NASCAR Street Race, which is interesting. So they moved Lola Palooza for this. Um, that's how significant the city of um, Chicago treated it. Don't want to sound ignorant, but what, is, what or who is Lollapalooza? A big music festival. 
Well, it's the biggest that. music festival in the world. What, even bigger than Glastonbury? Yep, absolutely. Okay, we're drifting, we're drifting, tighten this thing back up. Can we get back to the apex of the corner, please? Yeah, so what it meant was that uh, they did a sensational promoting it. It was all over the place. There were a lot of critics, obviously, because every street race has its critics. Uh, but, you know, people were converted over the course of the week. They enjoyed it. They had fun. You know, um, it brought people in. There was a lot of attention on Chicago that had never been on Chicago before. You know, like it attracted me over for it, for instance. Um, it was bringing people from all over. They reckon it was about $120 million worth of uh, money invested in Chicago this week just for this race. Um, so economically, they say they're in front. And, um, you know, after all, with you and you're a, you know, a government entity, that's all you care about, isn't it? Are we in front? Are we dragging tourism people in? Um, have we changed the way people view our city? You're waffling again, Andrew. I'm in charge of uh, the tourism chats in the uh, in the podcast, and <laughs> yep. I'm in Melbourne, so I've got nothing to talk about. But we've talked it endlessly. You've mentioned Chicago enough. I yep. think we uh, the tax man will be satisfied with all your efforts so far to qualify to uh, get 100% rebate. Yep. One quick thing is, what was your impression, NASCAR? I've always been a fan. I like them. But what did you think of the actual cars themselves? What did you think about them? Um, well, I've been to I came to Pocono in 2019, and I didn't think much of the cars then. Uh, but these next gen cars are pretty special. They're very trick. Um, so you know, I went to Nashville last week and saw them on the oval, and then I saw them here. And they're kind of they talk about being like GT3 cars. So they're they're very supercarish um, in terms of what they are. Except the the body's not as you know like the supercars look nicer, I think. But underneath the skin, they're very similar. You know, they're not building special cars for ovals and for you know, for super speedways and for restricted plate races and for road courses, it's the same car now that they can put between all of them. And they have to buy their components off the same people. You know, so what? in supercars where, you know, Barry Ryan decides I'm going to manufacture my own parts to a certain spec, you cannot do that in NASCAR. You have to buy it off the people. Um, so they've gone. But that's because the wheel nuts were faulty. That's why Barry made his own wheel nuts. No, but he did everything. He built his own chassis. You can't do that here. Um, and, and the reality is, too, that those cars are less than half the price of our cars. Yeah, but I know that a lot of the components come from America, but the reality is that those cars are half the price. Yeah, they reckon about 300000 Yeah, US. Yeah. As I've been saying for a long time, we should have just picked up the phone and ordered 30 of these things, and the Americans could have come out here and raced. We could have gone over there and raced, and yep. happy days. Instead, we've got this bullshit argument going on about the moment where uh, – We've got this parity debacle where all the teams that are underperforming have got to be given a, given a hand, helping hand to uh, get this feedback. Whoops, did I say that again? We will get into parity in a few minutes, obviously, with supercars. But I, I'm with you. I don't see why they didn't just party up and do a do a deal with NASCAR and do a co-development part of it or, you know, do things to, to have a little bit of Australian because you, you still want the Australian cars to be right-hand drive, for instance. Um, although, you know, there's no reason why they couldn't be left-hand drive. Yeah, but the fact is the... The, the supercar was designed in left-hand drive at the very beginning because yep. they wanted to try and sell them overseas. So if they could design it left-hand drive and then make it right-hand drive, that's that, oh, there's no reason they couldn't have done it. wouldn't be hard at all. It would be very simple when you think about it, as you say. But um, think about this. So if, if supercar's goal was to sell these cars globally and they're coming in at you know seven dollars $750,000 to buy and you could buy a NASCAR for three hundred three hundred and fifty grand. Why were they going to buy a supercar and not a NASCAR? It just doesn't make sense. So, and, and the other beauty is if they'd gone for NASCAR, they would have had a third manufacturer in Australia. Instantly. Instantly, yep. Andrew, Toyota are already there. 
Yeah, yeah exactly. no opportunity missed, I think. But anyway, what would I know? Yeah. But uh, it was funny talking about Barclay as we were before. Barks was on a plane somewhere. I don't know where he was going, but he was being a bit secretive. He didn't give me his diary this week. But um, <laughs> he kept asking me how he was on the plane. He must have been turning his plane off flight mode, and he was sending me text messages. How's he going? And for the first 10 laps, he said, oh, this race is boring. And then he must have got on the plane. Yeah. And then uh, halfway through the race, I said, oh, Shane's running third. Oh, he won't win it, will he? And I said, yep. When you're on a private jet, as Barks would be. He wouldn't be on a it. private jet. I'm the only one that flies privately. <laughs> That's why you don't go anywhere, Belford. But you were on the all stops model. He was on the direct one. <laughs> but when you're on a private jet, you don't have to turn your phone off. Just back to Van Gisberg for a second because you're saying he wasn't going to win. So early on in the race, he was giving himself a second for the car in front, a second from the car behind, and he was just pacing himself. And then after that first pit stop, he was saving fuel. So that's why he dropped those couple of spots. So Because uh, I was listening in on the radio. Um, so there was a plan. Yeah, he looked to be very conservative. Yep, there was a plan. There was a plan. <clears throat> and after that last pit stop, and they said to him, you don't have to stop again. You can go hard. He did. Uh, but the other thing that fascinated them over here was these heel and towing. Um, oh, that- they went on about that. They kept showing it. Oh, our blokes don't use the clutch. They just go bang and bang and bang. Yeah, but yeah. it's probably half the reason why they weren't locking up the rear wheels because he was actually engaging the clutch and flipping the throttle on a downshift. And uh, they had the camera in his car, and they were absolutely fascinated about by it, and they kept talking about it during the race. The funny thing for Greg Gisberger, because you know, he's got a great sense of humour, um, yeah, oh, he's he, a funny bastard. At one stage, they they were talking about it. He said, "You people have got such a foot fetish." <laughs> Andrew, we've got to wind this segment up now. It's uh, Monday night, mid, half past uh, midnight over there. When are you coming home? Uh, I get on the bomber on uh, Wednesday night and um, head straight to Townsville. So I don't get back to Melbourne until um, after the next issue goes to bed, Bruce. So uh, good luck. All right. Okay. So we're going to bail out on this chat, mate. Well done. You've uh, kept us engaged and informed and entertained over the last week or so. I have to say, I was really excited. I was sitting there watching the race on TV. I was actually quite nervous. I was actually really quite excited to see the uh, see uh, SVG win. And um, I know we give him a bit of a hard time and he's not sometimes the most popular bloke, but he did uh, make us all proud and uh, just reinforces what a great category Supercars is, is when uh, one of our best can go over there and dish it up. i got to say the luckiest man in Chicago was Andrew Clark. The only Australian journo who rolled the dice and said, well, I'm going to go to Chicago. And we (laughs) went, you idiot. You're just doing it for a tax deduction. As it turned out, Andrew Clark, you are part of history. (laughs) You were there. All right. We'll be back in a minute. And uh, I think we're going to talk about the uh, streets of Townsville and uh, the ongoing discussion about how the Fords are going to be helped to win some races. See you in a minute. Okay, viewers, uh, we're back here on the uh, Auto Action Rev Limited podcast. So we've just been chatting to Andrew Clark, PG and I, and Neville been chatting to Andrew about the exciting events of uh, the last few days in uh, the streets of Chicago. And uh, our very own, because he's a not, he uh, won, he's one of us now, uh, Shane Van Gisbergen took the win in NASCAR. So that was pretty good. But um, straight off the plane from uh, Chicago, SVG is going to be fronting up in uh, Townsville, Andrew. Yes, yeah, it's a it's a big flight to get through, obviously, but um, he'll be fine because he's a pointy end flyer, as we said before. But uh, yeah, it's uh, going to be interesting. I think we're all waiting to see what's going to happen with the parity stuff. So uh, being over here, I haven't got my finger on the pulse, so I'm relying on you guys to tell me what's going on with the uh, adjustments. Well, 
Well, before we get into that, I'd like to pose the question. Is SVG going to be as sharp as a tack in his uh, Chevrolet Camaro supercar or is he going to be down the back of the field? Because they're going to be, it's going to be a very different car to drive. And he's just done, you know, a lot of miles. I say miles because that's what they were. Yeah. A lot of miles in the, uh, in the NASCAR. And now he's got to get in his um, where, and I, I mean, this is the beauty of supercars, I suppose. In a NASCAR, his lap times were half a second faster. In, in supercars in Australia, half a second covers half the field. So yeah. he's going to have to be pretty sharp and on it again. It'll be really interesting to get to see how he goes, having been boxing on uh, in that big, heavy NASCAR. But here we are, we're, we're going to Townsville. And of course, over the last week or so, the uh, supercars uh, parity committee, have been taking uh, accepting advice from all comers and uh, how to uh, help the uh, Ford Mustangs win a race. Well, it wasn't just advice. They did actually go testing and they did put some other parts on the Mustang. They did. On the back of the Mustang, in fact. They did indeed. So it'll be interesting to see whether the parts that they put on the back of the Mustang actually appear uh, when the cars roll out of uh, out of pit lane in town. Is that a wing pole or is it um, altering the three quarters? Uh, it's a wing wing mount yep the wing mount is different and also the rear spoiler not the wing the actual spoiler underneath is different and from what i'm hearing bruce this is actually they the stuff they were testing was actually the parts that they had on the car when they first unveiled it at bathurst last year that's right they reverted and supercars told them that they couldn't have it yep so that was a bridge too far so they took it off but it still hasn't been confirmed because i was involved in a Vigorous text text exchange this morning with a uh, team principal who's pretty shitty at the moment because they still haven't been told what the changes are. He's absolutely convinced that it's a, it's a uh, sporting issue, not a uh, parity issue. But we did come to the conclusion that maybe what we should be doing is giving this team a Mustang, swapping, giving giving his one of his Camaros to the opposition, and he'll run them. Mustang for the uh, for a few races to uh, help them sort them out. He was more than up for the challenge. That's only if you believe it's a sporting issue. So your secret squirrel source then is obviously a Camaro team boss. Um, yeah, that'd well, that's be why he doesn't know what's being what's going on. I assume if they've made the cho- changes, the Ford teams would know because they would have been busy bolting the different bits onto their cars, but the Chevrolet guys at this stage don't know. Well, I think it was only DJA I've run the bits because they're the homologation team. I don't think there was actually anybody else from the Ford side ran, ran the bits on their car. But are they going to make the changes for this weekend is the question. I think there's about a 90% chance they will. Do you think? Do you expect that we'll see um, uh, Mustangs on the front row? Well, we've seen Mustangs on the front row in the past. What's more important is will we see Mustangs on the podium or will we see a Mustang win a race? And and let's be honest, if they're making significant changes to the car, that'll throw them out of the, out of their setup window as well. So you know, it might take a little while, but anything that puts a Mustang onto a uh, onto the podium on merit, I think, is a good idea. But it's interesting because this is the place where Tickford got their act together again last year and started to show some pace having been floundering around for the first part of the season. It's almost deja vu. <laughs> All over again. Here we are, because they had technical parity last category, so the last incarnation of the cars, apparently they had parity. So, Do you think so? Well, Andrew, you keep looking at I can see you, viewers. I can see him. You can't. And um, Andrew's uh, suggesting that there wasn't parity, but let's just assume there was. 
And again, it was dominated by the same one of the same teams as dominating now. So I go back to that point. Is it parity or just a lack of performance? For me, there's definitely a technical parity issue. I, I just can't believe that all of those teams have dropped the ball that badly so quickly. If one of them, yeah, maybe, but two of them, then three of them, then four of them, then five of them, uh, I just find it hard to believe. And I know it's very easy for the Chevrolet teams to say, oh, yeah, they're just not doing a good enough job. Yeah, that doesn't cut it for me. If I was out in front, I'd be saying the same thing. It's like you know that clown Max Verstappen saying, oh, you know, don't change the rules. The ones we've got are good. Well, the ones we've got to guard, good, mate. And it's the same thing here. You know, there, to me, there is a very clear issue. Um, and I, I refuse to believe that five Ford teams have all dropped the ball at the same time. And by the same amount. Yep. Oh, okay. We're back to that again. So, Bruce, you're saying they shouldn't change anything. And Paul says <laughs> they need to change. At the end of the day, for the good of the sport, we want a competition. And if the Ford blokes need a hand, then um, <laughs> by all means, give them one. Oh, so, let's move I'm, this on. That's what it comes down to, you know, like at the end of the day. You sound like Barks. You sound like a politician, mate. <laughs> no, 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 no. Look, as I said, it's uh, it's important for the good of the sport that the Ford fans are kept happy and, um, you know, uh, we, we might need to make some adjustments so that that uh, stays the case. We don't want them all running away. Because the one thing you do know is that there's not going to be many Chevrolet fans because uh, who drives a Chevrolet? Oh, it doesn't matter. You guys forget, the first Holden that won Bathurst was Chevrolet-powered. Make the connection. Yes, I know that. Make the connection. Yeah. Chevrolet's been part of the Holden DNA for a long time. Most of the Holden fans just quietly slipped over to Chevrolet. And they're so loyal to Australia over there in America that they stopped building cars. <laughs> oh, you uppercut there, Paul. <laughs> One thing we did skip over, um, with SVG looking to uh, to uh, possibly race in America, who's the hot tip to replace him when he bails out? You'd have to, if you were Cam Waters, you'd have to have your hand up for that seat, wouldn't you? If you were anybody. What do you mean have your hand up? He'd be, <laughs> be, what's stronger than having your hand up? Both his arms. I think anybody would want anybody would want that drive. Seriously. Well, I think if you went round to Jamie Wincup's house at the minute, you might find Cam Waters cooking the meals and doing the vacuuming. <laughs> Whatever it takes, I'll be yes. there. I think he would have fielded a few phone calls, to be honest. So, are we previewing this weekend's round, or is it just going to be some waffle? Because it's two back to two 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 fifty kilometre races. Yeah, yeah. It, it is a different challenge, isn't it, Bruce? Yep. And that circuit. And the other thing is, of course. Half the drivers come from Wintersville, where you all live down in Melbourne. Um, so the heat didn't seem to be a problem with them as it has been in the past with um, with Darwin. But going to Townsville, again, who was complaining at the beginning of the year about the heat? Oh, that'll be an SVG. But there may be some sort of a heat problem with the cars up there over the longer distance. I don't think there'll be a problem. The one thing I can tell you, PG, is that... Um... The heat in Darwin is going to be nothing compared to what it's been like up here. It has been horrendously hot and humid, so uh, I think he's well and truly acclimatised. When you say here, you mean you mean it's Chicago. You mean, uh, you mean Chicago, yeah. And when you yeah. say Darwin, you meant Townsville, right? If did I say Darwin? Yep. Oh well, whatever. Townsville, yeah. It's it's the the conditions over here have been the most oppressive I can ever remember in a car race. Andrew, you're drifting back to Chicago. We're talking about Townsville, and come on, these guys are athletes. They train, yes. they ride bikes, they run, they fight, they punch, yeah. they drive. A little bit 30 degrees, big deal. They need to harden up and they, get on with it. They don't they've even, got the cool suits working. They've, they've got, got the cool air working. They've it's got all going. Buttons, for, buttons on the steering wheel for the drinks. 
not like the old-fashioned method where poor old SVG had to reach over and grab a Slurpee and suck on the straw. <laughs> oh, it was good stuff. <laughs> yes. Anyway. Um, okay, so who's your prediction, Bruce? Who's going to win? I think uh, my, my, my gut feeling is that the, if, the, if they give the Fords um, any adjustments, I'll, I'll, I think we'll see some Fords being fast initially. Um, but I think it'll come down to Triple Eight and Erebus and maybe the usual sh- suspects over over the long distance because there'll be, you know, it's a fair bit of strategy on that place and you do have to look after the cars and the track's bumpy. And so, it, you know, it'll be interesting. I mean, Triple Eight have dominated over various different uh, periods up there and, um, you know, we haven't got Scotty McLaughlin uh, in the DJR car, so who knows? But it depends on how much better the, the Mustang is with... Uh, any updates that they might get. We're talking very small margins. It's, I mean, it's such a much such a small difference between um, what what they've got and potentially what they need to keep uh, keep the tyres under things. So who knows? Uh, I think Brock Feeney will go really well there. Yeah, I think he he's stepped up a level, and I think based on the path and talking about if the Fords get an adjustment, I reckon I reckon Davo. Seems to go pretty well at that joint. Davo's been pretty solid in uh, in Townsville over the years, and DJR quite traditionally had good cars up there too. So you know they've and they've had good results. So when I say they've had good cars and good results, and a lot of that's based on strategy as well. And you can compensate for having a car that maybe doesn't have the speed by having really good strategy. And they've got a very strong team of engineers and strategists and so on and so forth. So they there's no reason why they couldn't be quick. But it'll be interesting. SVG is either going to come back and say how good is this, this um, supercar to drive and how easy is it and blaze, basically blaze off into the distance. Or um, he might sort of think, oh, gee, you know, blah, blah, blah. I, I reckon if uh, Bruce thinks that they're going to help the Fords to win, then clearly it's going to be a Ford 1, 2, 3, isn't it? But, uh, you know, I think my, my, my tip, I think Andre Heimgartner is ready for a big one. Um, so I, I think we're going to see him go really well. And if you ask me the other two, it's going to be Feeney and um, SVG. Um, I think those triple eight cars are bloody good there. And uh, yeah, so that's my tip. So you're not, neither, so none of us are then talking about Kostecki and, and Willie Brown. No, I didn't I had a bit of a, them out. I had a bit of a chat to Will the other day. He was down at the vets, um, not to get himself, <laughs> not to get himself muted or anything. <laughs> but um what was interesting talking to him is he said, "Well, you know, I've been outscored. If you if you forget about some of the early problems I had, I've outscored Brody. So there's yeah. a bit of a, there's a bit of a rivalry. Oh, there's brewing definitely there. an interteam rivalry. And uh, don't let uh, don't think for one second that they're not winning the championship because I happened to bump into uh, Big Baz after the Darwin thing. I said, "So how's it going, mate?" And he goes, "Ah, oh, well, we've had a shit weekend. Let's hope that's not that's the worst weekend we have in a while." But uh, yeah, he said, I read him the right act. We are thinking about the championship, and so they should be. So good on them. They need yeah. to get on with it. And, um, yeah, we'll see what happens. But, um, you know, it comes back to the fact that uh, they might make some changes to the Ford um, performance, but they still find some interesting ways to bring themselves undone, won't they? Well, yeah, they could always burn one to the ground again, couldn't they? Now, just as a quick thing, too, um, I may have mentioned uh, a couple of podcasts ago, Barry from the Blue Mountains. He actually sent me a text message the other day. He was a little offended that I, I raised his uh, his uh, text message to me about referring to viewers because Barry's apparently quite well known in the Blue Mountains and apparently there's a few other motorsport fans out there 
that have worked out who Barry from the Blue Mountains is and have actually <laughs> given him a bit of a verbal touch-up in um, in one of the pubs up there. And uh, Barry's, uh, Barry's not overly excited about the fact that I added him. So apologies, Barry. This is the second time I've had to apologise to you, once for referring to viewers and you're too silly to work out what I was talking about. And now the fact that you've been outed. <laughs> Well, has he been outed also for his lack of mechanical sympathy with his with his? Uh, no, we machine? don't talk about his what? <laughs> we don't talk about, about his, his speed machine. His speed machine, Bruce. No, no, we don't talk about Barry from the Blue Mountains in that regard. We're just talking about his complaints. So anyway, Baz, uh, we're thinking of you, and at some stage we are going to work this into a podcast, but I'm very, very fearful looking at the other people on the video screen jesus i don't know that we really should be going public with these people okay so that's enough waffling on supercars we're going to come back and touch very very briefly on formula one because there's not a lot to say red bull again uh this weekend they race at uh, silverstone for the british grand prix and we don't need to come back bruce you've covered it all oh, okay <laughs> yeah. so um yeah, so the uh, the Dutchman just blazed off into the distance again. Uh, the McLaren um, upgrade looked good. Um, Lando looked to be on the money. Be nice to see what our bloke can do when when they give him one instead of the second one last year's model. They've got to keep Lando happy because you know at the moment he's very keen to find a, a top drive and he's um, he's not happy. But no, no, it was a pretty uneventful weekend apart from the fact that just about everybody at various different stages of practice and qualifying got um, and including the race got done for uh, exceeding track limits and uh, they just need to put some plastic bollards up nothing that will kill them but something that will wreck their front wing if they hit it that'll soon stop them absolutely i think how many laps was there 71 laps or something like that and one driver did something like 68 laps he went over but he didn't know no one told him yeah, well, the interesting thing about that stupid system is it's not adjudicated at the circuit. It's done at the remote control centre, uh, known as the uh, Michael Massey Memorial Control Centre. <laughs> but so there's a lag. So Lewis Hamilton, the first time he knew he'd been doing it in the race, he already had three strikes. <laughs> you know, like where you know it's Formula One. It's supposed to be real time on it. You know, instant verdicts. Yeah, but if they don't want them driving off the track, put something in place to stop them. Make the curbs taller. Concrete walls work, don't they, Bruce? Worked at the Thunderdome. Yeah, it worked at Chicago. The problem you've got is that um, the Red Bull ring is also used for motor motorcycle Grand Prix and also Superbike rounds. So the Superbike riders and the MotoGP riders don't like... Gee, those concrete walls at Chicago, you know, the next day they took them out so they could put the buses back in. What, they yes. put some concrete walls up there and then take them out for the MotoGP? They could reseal and put gravel in every time if they wanted to. Just think of all the signage you could put on the concrete wall. But the stupid thing is that they say they're doing it for the motorbikes. Put curbs in that the motorbikes don't want to ride on. Don't ride on them. It's bloody simple. Like I, I, this whole debate about keeping them out. It's not about them not riding them. It's when they, they come off and they slide over the top of them and it launches them into the air. That's why they don't have curbs on the outside of corners. Like when you look at MotoGP riders and the fact that they come off the bikes at 300 kilometres an hour and slide down the road and pick, most of the time they pick themselves up unscathed. It's quite remarkable, really. Yeah. And that's down to the fact that there's no furniture on the track or there's you know there's nothing that launches them and cartwheels them into the air and that's why where they where they have tracks that are shared 
uh, with Grand Prix car, with motorbikes and Grand Prix cars, the tracks are quite different. And that's one of the reasons why the big changes were made at Phillip Island. But you can't tell me Formula One's not smart enough to... Okay, just one thing, just one thing. Which one? You know how to stop them? All they need to do is get Gunder Steiner to add up how much it costs for the damage they do running those cars over the curbs. But you can't tell me Formula One is not smart enough to make some sort of curb that they can pull in and out. They took the sausage curbs out, you know, the big yellow. Yeah, because people were sucking. No, because somebody got a back injury. Somebody actually had a back injury from running yeah, over the young there. Tasmanian bloke, uh, was it Peroni? No, 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 not him. No, there was somebody else after that. Not The guy who, at not the one at Monza, somebody actually injured their back. And for OHS reasons, they took them out. Have a little curb you can drop in. It's easy. There's got to be a solution that doesn't allow this crap to keep going on because it makes the sport look a joke. Tire spikes. Get the local cops around. Put the tire spikes down. That'll stop them. <laughs> okay. Well, Andrew, looking forward to catching up when you get back. And um... Having you as the anchor doesn't work as well. You're much better lobbing your hand grenades in. Yeah, we'll be back to normal next week. Yeah, but the other problem is I'm in the office with the boys and we're on deadline and the boys are trying to concentrate. Okay, well, that's it from uh, this issue of the uh, Rev Limiter. Stay tuned for next week's issue. We'll be back down to earth with some uh, chat from Andrew from Townsville and Paul Dover will be just just his usual waffling self from uh, from after the event. So, uh, yeah, we'll be back to, uh, back to the studio, Neville. See you guys. <laughs> Thanks, Bruce. We'll see you later. It's great. Each week, find out what the men behind the V8 news know and what the drivers and teams are going to do next. It's interviews and opinions on Inside Supercars. My predecessor, Roland Dane, did a very, very good job. We're no longer shareholders of the build business. Personally, I think a 500 in the build up to the 1,000 is, is a good thing. Tune in for more at sportradio.com.au or lock in the podcast on your iTunes or mobile device. Search Inside Supercars.